1: Welcome to Reasonable Doubts, the radio show and podcast for those who won't just take things on faith. Coming to you from Grand Rapids, Michigan, just miles down the road from the second happiest place in the country, Holland, Michigan. Did you guys hear this? Uh, What? A, A new Gallup poll. Holland, Michigan is the second happiest city in the United States. Way to go, Holland. Yeah, which is surprising for a lot of reasons. Anyway... Uh, You can find us online at www.doubtcast.org or those of you in West Michigan, possibly even Holland, can listen to us on Public Reality Radio, WPRR Ada Grand Rapids, and W237CZ Hudsonville. That's 1680 AM and 95.3 FM, or you can listen to us at publicrealityradio.org. My name is Dave Fletcher. With me in the studio, my fellow Doubtcasters, Mr. Jeremy Bean, Yellow. Yeah, and Dr. Professor Luke Galen. I
2: think because of the law of thermodynamic happiness where it's neither created nor destroyed, the fact that they're so happy in Holland means that we're less happy here and it's a zero-sum game. Is, is
1: that how that works? I think I people me. in
0: Holland have made me less happy before. Yeah, generally
1: speaking.
2: That's, that's where they manufacture those seasonal affective disorder lights. Isn't it? <laughs>
1: Well, uh, coming up on this episode, we've got a couple of history lessons that you simply can't get in Texas. Uh, Luke, why don't you start us off with what's going on in Texas?
2: I I wish I knew what was going on in Texas. (laughs) Yeah. Don't we
1: all? No kidding.
2: At this point, at least, the Texas School Board has had a series of votes on curriculum changes. Mm -hmm.
1: For, for the social studies curriculum specifically, right?
2: they're famous for having done the science curriculum yes. before because yeah. uh, you know the intelligent design insertions right. and the alterations. And that of-
1: was just like a year or so ago. I think we talked about it on the show when that was going
2: on.
0: Yeah, we also talked about it with Chris Rada, author of Liars for Jesus. Mm-hmm. But we focus mostly on the Bible curriculum that they were passing, not the social studies curriculum.
2: Right. Yeah, and so this is an ongoing effort. Uh, so long story short, the reason why this is important is because uh, the Texas school book market is huge. And so a lot of the publishers... Because uh,
1: Texas is huge.
2: Right. Uh, why would you publish a textbook that's not sellable there? That's mm-hmm. right. So they have, they have uh, I would say, disproportionate, but they have influence over the, the market, uh, the, the uh, authorship of textbooks across the nation.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And these standards will go into effect for 10 years. Once they're passed, which is well, that's pretty
1: big.
2: Yeah, the guidelines are called TEKS, T E K S for te- Texas Essential Knowledge and Skills. Um, but on the political angle, the reason that they're doing this is because you know this is part of the whole the religious rights effort to take local grassroots control of organizations right. like like school boards, uh, and so they have a, a, a group of conservatives there who vote fairly solidly as a block. Mm-hmm. They haven't tried to hide the fact that they are. are pushing back against what they view as the disproportionately liberal standards in a variety of topics by uh, what they view as changing it back to balance with a conservative point of view on virtually all the different subjects.
1: Right. They're correcting history because it's been taught wrong all of this time. We've been ignoring the Christian roots specifically. Coming down the wire just a few days ago, they were discussing omitting Thomas Jefferson from the uh, social studies text. That, that was just... Absolutely amazing.
2: That, that brings up the interesting question. Why remove Thomas Jefferson? And I think that's what's most representative of their efforts is mm-hmm. you know, it's not hard to see why they would want to remove Jefferson because that links it to the whole enlightenment.
1: Because he was yeah. a slave owner, right? And he uh-huh. slept with his
2: slaves. They don't have a problem with that. No. <laughs> I <don't laughs> um, suppose they do. The Texas Freedom
0: Network has been live blogging. All these proceedings, mm-hmm. and you can see exactly what they're trying to change. Thomas Jefferson hasn't been removed from all of the history standards. That that really would be he does still exist. It'd be this like those communist photos
2: where there's just a blank thing next yeah, yeah, them that's right. <laughs> Who? We have third
0: president? No, we skipped over. No, Alexander Hamilton. Move on. No, he's been removed from a very specific standard that has the students study the impact of Enlightenment ideas on political revolutions. Mm-hmm. What they did is they they dropped the word enlightenment. So that's their real issue here. Oh, I wow. think they don't like the idea of the enlightenment and people learning about it. So instead of Which enlightenment – It's terribly ironic. Yeah. Instead of enlightenment, they replace it with the writings of. So there's no reference to the movement. Uh. And then the writings of include right now John Locke, Thomas Hobbes, Voltaire, hmm. Charles de Montesquieu – Jean-Jacques Rousseau and Thomas Jefferson.
1: No Thomas Paine on the list? No, but he no, was more of a track writer. Well, uh,
0: you know, he was a political theorist.
1: But. Yeah, but to call him just a track writer, I mean he framed our country. All right. Let's come on, let's Paine credit where credit is. It's a due.
0: decent list. Oh yeah. What they've done is they've taken out Thomas Jefferson and they've added, get this, they've added Thomas Aquinas to the enlightened well. <laughs> Such as it is? John Calvin and Sir William Blackstone is what they're adding, which, yes, effectively changes the standard. They're not talking about the Enlightenment. Now they're trying to reach back as far as the Middle Ages to find some sort of Christian idea.
1: And I have no problem with – teaching about aquinas and calvin and that sort of thing necessarily because they are important thinkers historically but to tie the roots of our nation to it, yeah it's
0: really stretching it to say that they uh, are is, democratic theorists yeah, yeah
2: this is a, you could see that's that in the in a nutshell you could see what they're trying to do and when you argue with the Christian nation people, this is what they try to do is that they try to place the emphasis not on the enlightenment and the pathway from like Voltaire and Locke and Rousseau. They they try to alter the, the roots of the constitution and the country's founding to – Things like the Mayflower Compact or the Pilgrims Mm -hmm. or or the religious uh, dissenters who came here from England, you know, and they say this is proof. They will focus on those documents because what those show is that for for the Pilgrims and for those people, yes, they did want to found their own city on a hill where they can practice religion freely, their religion freely, of course. Exactly. Uh, And they refer to that as the roots of the country rather than the Constitution or that the the Enlightenment founders roots of the country.
1: Are are they completely ignoring the fact that most of the people who came to this country did not come with the intention that the pilgrims did? In fact, many of the pilgrims  … did not come with the intentions of the pilgrims. Many of them were also trying to escape other things, or looking for a land grab, or gold, or whatever else. Well, that's one
2: of the crit- criteria I think on the list is that they want to examine the, the motivations of the people for for you know founding the new world. Are they focused? Right. One of the more absurd ones is Christopher Columbus's religious zeal. Oh, know, <laughs> yeah, he, he was
1: definitely that's one to uphold. Yeah.
2: Yeah, and and so you see that – that's why I think the Jefferson thing is representative is because you see why they want to do an end run around him and some of the other figures with enlightenment roots is that that would undercut their whole thesis that the motivations were religious for the country. In, in Susan Jacoby's Free Thinkers, she details the, the godless Constitution and the influences uh, that you know were specifically left out of the yeah the very the intentional
1: godlessness of the Constitution right yeah
0: and it was intentional you could tell by the responses to it it people, was very, some so much religious disgust. people were outraged yeah
2: yeah and so if you read some of the quotes of these school board members. Uh, like who's the chairman guy that was? He was just voted out. Um, uh, McLeary, Don McLeeroy, yeah. yeah. So he was his. He's a lame duck essentially. He was voted out, but he still has influence on these votes. They've managed to do this sort of jujitsu move where it used to be in the in the country in the in, you know in the past century that conservatives tried to amend the constitution mm-hmm. to insert Jesus Christ or references to God. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, here what, what they're doing now is they're not. They're assuming that the constitution was. Religious in nature by tying it to like the Declaration of Independence all along. And so they use this thing where they say that the documents are seamless that because right. it, the, independ- the Declaration of Independence mentioned a creator and had some religious – But, but it's tied, it's tied from a religious
1: document by any stretch of the imagination. Yes, it references a creator, but it's it's very deist language for one thing.
2: Well, that's, yeah. un- that's why they, if you knew Jefferson, you'd know it was deist. Yeah, absolutely. But if you remove Jefferson, you could just focus on yeah. the literal words of Creator and say, see, that's it's right. religious. That's yeah, right.
0: if you remove the Enlightenment, you don't understand anything about that natural law thinking that's right. that informed the Declaration of Independence.
2: Yeah, and so when you look at like the, the writings of, of, of Jefferson and and some of those uh, – and Madison, Madison and the correspondence particular. between them, what what often the, re- the religious right does is cherry pick the parts out where they say – where Jefferson says, like you know, he admires the morals of Jesus Christ, for example, which he right. did. Or that they'll say, you know, they make references of Washington saying that you know the morality of Christianity is the basis for the country. But what they what they elide or try to to go around is in the full context, those people uh, didn't necessarily mean that as being a divine thing. For example, absolutely, Jefferson didn't consider Christ to be a divine figure; just morals to admire, right. Right. as
1: evidenced by his own Bible and he carved he out all
2: the other parts and. Uh, the miracles and, and that uh, – uh, and Washington the similarly – The virgin birth. Yep. Washington's language was often was, – was deistic and yes, he referred to God, but it was the grand architect of the universe. That's right. Masonic language.
1: And, and what so – so what if they were religious? That That still doesn't change the fact that the constitution – is a entirely intentionally secular document.
2: Yeah, and so they criticize often the the concept of separation of church and state which is from Jefferson's letter to the Danbury Baptist as being right. not in the document. And so they can literally say well separation of church and state isn't in the constitution therefore the concept is not applicable, uh, but if you look at the uh, if you look at the other, you know, like you guys just mentioned, the rebuttals at that time were from the founders that they referred to, like Patrick Henry. Right. They mm-hmm. referred to things where he tried to say, let's sponsor, for example, use government funds to sponsor religious groups. They were that's what Jefferson and Madison were fighting against, right? And their in their notes on the state of Virginia and the Roman yeah, memorial. Uh, yeah, so they, they they specifically argued against the intertwinement between church and state.
1: And, and, and I believe it's in the Treaty of Tripoli, which was signed by Madison. It may have been written by Madison as well, where it says it, it was a treaty that was made with a Muslim nation, and it says directly – the United States is in no way a Christian nation.
2: And it passed unanimously in the yeah, Senate.
1: Absolutely. And that's Madison. He's the guy who wrote the Bill of Rights.
2: Yeah, and so the um, uh, the other influence I think that's interesting is uh, that I've been – wasn't aware of until recently was that the- – all the founders uh, actually incorporated or the major founders incorporated the writings on scientific and religious matters of Joseph Priestley. I, yeah. don't, I, I don't think we've talked about him as much on the show before, but he's a fascinating character because he, most people know him as, in regards to like his chemistry type work right. with oxygen. He plants. invented
1: oxygen, I believe.
2: <laughs> and uh, and carbonated water, which is obviously d- the most Did he useful. really invent carbonated water? He, it was all the gases, Dave. Was he the yeah. one
0: that was putting birds in the air pumps and stuff like yes, that? Yes,
2: he oh, was. Yeah. But he's also the, one of the founders of the Unitarian religion and so yeah, he uh, so his his writings were equally scientific political and and uh religious and so we would, as, as most atheists, would kind of view it skeptically because he was trying to make an argument that God did exist. Mm-hmm. But again, his God was very deistic. He, uh, as with the Unitarian themes, he rejected the Trinity, miracles, some of the more absurd things in the Bible. Jefferson, though, referred specifically to his to his documents as being the, the foundation for his religious views. Yeah. A- and uh, mm-hmm. John Adams and these founders, when Priestley came from England to America because he got Basically kicked out of England, mm-hmm. they attended his lectures and mm-hmm. his religious things, and he was mentioned more often in the correspondence. You know those letters between Jefferson and Adams towards the end of their life, where yep. they be, yep.
0: those are the best. They became
2: <laughs> yeah. BFF. They were BFF. They were frenemies no longer, <laughs> yeah. but they refer more to Priestley's work than they do to any of the other people like Washington.
1: Oh yeah, uh, of course. And,
2: and so and so he's a majorly influential figure, but his his work that often uh, that angered people was on making an argument against this um, notion of you know, literal divinity of Christ right. and, and uh, the uh, supernatural type things in the Bible. And so he was, um, uh, he was a, uh, not one of our American founders because he was English, but uh, his ideas were part of that whole mainstream of thought mm-hmm. of enlightenment that, we, that rationalism mm-hmm. should trump religious arguments in public discourse.
0: See, I think all of this stuff should be covered. I, I, I mean, I think to some degree, it's a mistake to even start talking about, you know, what the founders intended, as if they were all one block, yeah. as if they didn't have debates and differences of opinions. You know, clearly there were some more conservative, religious Christians mm-hmm. uh, that had their own views of how the government and constitution should be. They didn't win in the end, but it was a legitimate debate. So why not teach the religious views of our founders but teach them all? Because I don't think they could stand students learning about the deism I mean, of Franklin
1: of catch, our catchphrase could be teach the controversy. Yes, yeah. <laughs> there you go. Well, and it's interesting to me because I, I know when I was in school and I think to this day, they will talk about – the argument that eventually led to a bicameral legislature, how you know the big states just wanted um, representation based on population, the smaller states wanted equal number, so we end up with both the Senate and the House of Representatives and we teach that, but it 's like there were no other arguments. Ben Franklin wanted the turkey to be the national bird, and otherwise they just agreed on everything right. You want to see how how widely. They disagreed. Look at the issue of slavery, and that that very nearly led us to not have a nation.
2: Well, that's uh, you mentioned uh, the, the the legislation being bicameral, but the, one of the other things that you guys catch that. The um, the standards is that they wanted to emphasize why there's a separation of powers with legislative mm-hmm. and judicial. They thought mm-hmm. that that was related to man's inherent sinfulness <laughs> and that since the founders believed that we were fallible, the reason that they separated the powers in the governmental branches like that is because one couldn't be trusted to have too much power. Well, and there's some truth in that because these
1: are people coming out of a monarchy and they – and you know you don't set up the president as a monarch because, because there's too much yeah. possibility for – Corruption and that sort but
0: That's true, but that, they, but that this was because of inherent human
1: sinfulness. Or, or original right.
2: sin or that sort of thing. I mean yeah. it's
1: more the idea that power corrupts, <laughs> which was very apparent to them. The Enlightenment rationalists
0: believed in human nature. Yeah. You had a few that looked upon it fondly, but most of them were I think quite rightly wary of it. Uh, that doesn't mean it's a doctrine of original sin.
2: Yeah, well, or, or the entire, uh, like you mentioned just now, with slavery. That if you're going to say that the that the Constitution was based upon some sort of biblical law, or that right. that's the, the the mosaic the mosaic laws or the fun, you, then then that opens you up to oh, so you're going to study the influence of slavery as being related to Christian Judeo Christian belief, then. And certainly, and,
1: there is a connection there for many people.
2: Nobody really – I don't think they're going to point that out to their kids though. And say, no, you know, no. And because they relied so much on the Bible, that's why we had slaves. Any questions? <laughs> <laughs> well, they may
0: not point that out to their kids, but it is kind of shocking some of the other things that the good folks in Texas are doing to the standards. For example, they want the Confederate General Stonewall Jackson to be listed as a role model for effective leadership – They want Jefferson Davis's inaugural address to be displayed side-by-side with Abraham Lincoln's
1: speeches. Wow. That's (laughs) that's radical stuff right there. New heroes. Yeah. How about Santa Ana? Can we erect a monument to Santa Ana?
0: (laughs) Is that that cool? Texas? One of the amendments also wants to include language about, quote, the unrealistic expectations of equal outcomes among minorities – that was created by the civil rights
2: movement. Wow! And that they have that wow. minorities and women have white men to thank for granting them their rights. <laughs> yeah, and I think that gains, right. that there were gains that we gave them. I so. think
0: that one didn't pass, but yes, that was uh, no, another one that Mick <laughs> <Leroy> was <laughs> I think arguing
1: for. That, that was for. even. An argument <laughs> yeah. like – no, we, we need to re-emphasize the importance of white men in history <laughs> because, damn it, we are being left out. So, uh, the, they took out Cesar Chavez too. That, that really pissed that. me yeah. off. Yeah. Well,
2: what's jaw-dropping about these is that these board members are not scholars no. and that they've specifically right. uh, declined – to have scholars come and give their recommendations. Yeah, they're not
1: they're not talking to the experts about what should be included. They're they're because going. They're, they're not
0: guy. going to. Uh, they're not going to reaffirm their positions. The Don, yeah. uh,
2: the guy's a dentist, and some of these people are just you know uh, a, a scattered different professions. And they and uh, when experts have gone in and given testimonies, like no are. Constitution was not founded on mosaic law. They they seem dumbfounded by that, and they were like, "What, what are you talking about?" They refer to that. We've talked about David Barton's work on the show before oh, with, yeah. his, mm-hmm. with his, with uh, his. You know, I'm putting air quotes here. Scholarly work on you know the uh, <laughs> that that they refer to cherry picked people that will give them the answers that they want, but not these are they don't refer to historians or right. academics on right. any of this information. They're just going through category by category and saying what would be a conservative. Uh, agenda.
0: The reason why the scholars don't agree with them in their mind is because of a grand liberal conspiracy. In that episode with Chris Rada, we talked about David Barton's ties with all sorts of conspiracy theorists, Christian reconstructionists, and it's it's frightening. They won't hear that they're wrong because they know. They have an absolute conviction mm-hmm. that they are right, and anyone who it tells them otherwise – is uh,
1: an agent of evil. That's right. A- and for listeners who haven't heard that episode or want to listen again, that's episode 49. The thing that really burns me about all this is that we were that close to not having to deal with Texas. Texas very easily could have been its own country.
0: <laughs> and you know I was it, thinking about that on the way in. Yeah. Why didn't we just let them secede?
2: And we have they still might. Yeah, well <laughs> the Tea Partyists might uh, take the, it
1: off. The governor has said that he might. And we have we have listeners in Texas and we hear from them every time we make fun of Texas, which is fairly frequently. <laughs> there are good people in Texas. I just want to say get
2: out. Why is, it, why is it when during the Bush years when, when liberals didn't want to support the Iraq war that we were uh, unpatriotic? Yeah. Uh, but but if, if Texans want to secede because they don't like paying taxes for other people, that is patriotic. That it, that's patriotism. That's the hard, uh, I somebody explain that to me.
0: Well, if this board of education represents the views of most Texans, then uh, I think the most patriotic thing they could do is secede from the union.
1: Right. Because that way, at least we don't have to deal with their textbooks getting into other states. <laughs>
2: They can order theirs from the same place that Saudi Arabia gets their text. That's right about Israel. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's not a lot of hope in any in this entire story. But the thing that really gives—I me I think other authors have said this before—that when it comes down to it, you know, if somebody wants to think what they want about the Christian nation thing and the Constitution, mm-hmm. the the best argument against that is just to look at the Constitution itself. You know, there mm-hmm. is no God. You know, just you know, look at it.
1: And and that's that's very true. But the problem is they don't do it. At WPRR a while back, we had a couple of uh, teabaggers on one of the the local shows, and someone called in and was another teabagger and quoted something from the Constitution. And these two people who were spokespeople for the Tea Party literally did not know what was in the First Amendment, these are people who are claiming to, you know, be advocates for they skipped the Constitution. To the one, right? Yeah. Well, yeah. Exactly. They don't know. There is no knowledge about this stuff. They're
0: the, not going to read it. The Texas Board of Education people were furious because there was no discussion of the right to bear arms in the First Amendment curriculum standards. Oh my. It's not See? the first amendment. This is what I'm saying. <laughs> and they got indignant too when tri- when people uh again, uh they live blogged this at the Texas Freedom Network it's yeah. a great website they were live blogging this yeah and they got they got upset they were they were saying no it's it's ridiculous that, that we don't we don't cover the right to bear arms as, as a basic the First human amendment freedom curriculum. Like, no it, just um. cover it in the second amendment standard well, I, to, I had some
2: data I don't have my hand on it now but that they tried to f- to see how many Americans could identify the five parts of the First Amendment. Oh, like, yeah, you know, yeah. Free yes, assembly, yeah. free speech. And there was like – you know, the percentages get, get pretty small on that one just as you would imagine. But I would always wonder how, how many Americans, if you asked – give them a quiz about Article 6 where there should be no religious test for public office. I wonder how many would know that that's in there. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Probably not a lot.
0: Well, that's because they wanted to leave it up to the states, Luke.
2: Oh, <laughs> so that each state could have their own little religious fiefdom. Did you
0: guys see the standard where they – where they declared that McCarthy has been vindicated yeah. by history? <laughs> no, I missed that yeah, one. McCarthyism is
1: is was now a positive force
2: because oh, there were commies God. in the. Uh, turns out there were commie spies. So.
1: so we flushed out the commies, and thank <laughs> thank God for Joe McCarthy, huh? Yeah. Oh my goodness, this is terrible.
2: I'm reminded of the, uh, the. Did you see the Simpsons episode that was aired in like 2001 or two, where they after the war, where the Simpsons were put in jail for anti-American activities, and they and they no. had that this song like those schoolhouse rock songs yeah. where it used to be like oh, oh, I'm yeah. just <laughs> and it's like you know who are you? You, know, I'm the bit of riots. You know you don't look so good. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm just tired. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's rough.
1: So in Texas, we have conservative christians who are rewriting history to suit their own purposes but are we doing the same thing us godless heathens according to david bentley hart uh we are
0: yes david bentley hart has written an entire book on the subject called atheist delusions
1: the christian revolution and its fashionable enemies
0: and it's the subject of today's counter apologetics
1: Hide your faith from the light of reason. It's now time for counter apologetics.
2: Fashionable. What I'm gonna choose a a movement that's the most despised movement in America with only, you know, five percent of the people. Which one would that be? Uh, it's I'm fashionable. Lo- I'm
1: looking around the room right now and not seeing a whole lot of high fashion. I've <laughs> got Led Zeppelin t-shirt. This is a classic! I, I've got a green goblin t-shirt and uh Jeremy's – Mighty Boosh. That's of mighty boosh. All right. High fashion indeed.
0: A listener first brought this book to my attention. I looked it up online and, and apparently it's gaining a lot of praise. Christianity Today gave it a very positive review. Many of the reviewers of the book are saying the same thing. This is not your typical response to the new atheists. Mm-hmm. Um, it's of a much higher caliber and has a very interesting take. I would agree that it's not your – Typical response to the new atheists because it, it barely even discusses them. Um, it, it's pretty much only in the first twenty pages that he mentions any of the new atheist authors, and uh, the only one he ever really confronts any arguments of is is Daniel Dennett. So, so well, he always got
1: to pick on Dennett, Hitchens, and Dawkins. They are loud and mean, and all of these awful things. I love them both. But Dennett is just this teddy bear. Why are you picking on Dennett?
0: I don't know what it's they awful. got against Dennett. Bastards. Basically, the thesis is that atheists have been revising history, the mm. whole history of Western civilization, right. um, to, to really defame Christianity and exaggerate the accomplishments of Hellenistic culture and the Enlightenment. Dave's going to read a quote for us, a rather long quote, admittedly but sums up Hart's thesis pretty well.
1: Once upon a time, Western humanity was the coseted and incurious ward of Mother Church. During this, the age of faith, culture stagnated, science languished, wars of religion were routinely waged, witches were burned by inquisitors, and Western humanity labored in brutish subjugation to dogma, superstition, and the unholy alliance of church and state. I like it so far. He's pretty good with his prose, I have to admit that. nice. Withering blasts of fanaticism and fideism had long since scorched away the last remnants of classical learning. Inquiry was stifled. The literary remains of classical antiquity had long ago been consigned to the fires of faith, and even the great achievements of Greek science were forgotten till Islamic civilization restored them to the West. All was darkness. Then... In the wake of the wars of religion that had torn Christendom apart came the full flowering of the Enlightenment, and with it the reign of reason and progress, the riches of scientific achievement and political liberty, and a new and revolutionary sense of human dignity. This is, as I say, a simple and enchanting tale. Its sole defect is that it happens to be false in every identifiable detail.
0: Like we said about Zeitgeist last time, Mm -hmm. one of the annoying things about Hart's book is that some of the time he is right. Starting in ancient Greece, he talks about several secular myths like the Library of Alexandria being Mm -hmm. burnt down.
1: Yeah, in in, uh, northern Egypt or lower Egypt as it's called by the Egyptians, uh, Library of Alexander housed the greatest library – in the ancient world and it was right. torched by the Christians.
0: Yep. In 390, a mob of Christian zealots burned it down and there goes all these texts of antiquity. Mm-hmm. Uh, decades later, a Christian mob also brutally murdered Hypatia. Hypatia was the head of the Neoplatonist school of philosophy in Alexandria, mm-hmm. and they killed her because of what she represented. She's a woman liberated from sexual prejudice and a strong voice for secular philosophy. Get her! But Hart says this is a myth. It's not true. Didn't happen. And he's partially correct. The library was burnt down in 47 BCE, before the Common Era, so Christians weren't even around it yet.
1: Was not the Christians.
0: Yes, it was burnt down during the – a war between Julius Caesar and Pompeii. Mm -hmm. Uh, It was actually burnt down by accident. The library was restored but it was destroyed again hundreds of years later, also just in another war to unify the empire. So no Christian mob, nothing. So what actually happens in 391? Where did this myth of the library burning come from? Mm -hmm. It's probably been conflated with another event – a temple that was destroyed, the Serapium, which did contain scrolls, most likely, uh, that were rescued from the library, but we simply don't know how many. Mm -hmm. And a Christian mob was involved with the burning down of the temple, but it was carried out primarily by Roman soldiers, uh, just some Christian rioters attended. And it actually, it happened in response to pagan violence. During the renovation of, of the temple, human remains were exhumed, And this really pissed off the local pagans. They retaliated by rioting. Christians started a counter-riot. The pagans ended up kidnapping some Christians and Mm -hmm. retreating back to the temple and they did some nasty stuff. They tortured and humiliated and killed a lot of these Christians. And It was Emperor Theodosius ordered – Hart claims actually that pagan rioters not be punished but that the source of the unrest, which was the temple, be destroyed. Hart is right. We shouldn't extrapolate from an event like this to some sort of general conclusion about the character of early Christianity just from a group of writers. I think he's right. And then he says, colorful myths aside, the early church did not systematically destroy the literature of pagan antiquity and there was no universal Christian prejudice against profane learning.
1: Mm. They may not have burned down the, the libraries necessarily, but they did very much work to destroy the cultures –
0: Yeah, it's no doubt about it. Smashing up the temples and stuff like that. Right,
1: and changing their beliefs. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Well, Hart's claim is that the School of Alexandria was one of the first Christian institutions of higher learning. He points to church fathers like Clement of Alexandria, Origen. He says they both studied under Neoplatonist philosophers. They encouraged their students to do the same. Uh, many pagans studied under Christians as well. All of this is true. Mm-hmm. Anatolius was a Christian and an expert on Aristotle. George of Cappadocia had a large library of Christian and pagan texts. And for the first few centuries of the Christian faith, pagans and Christians and philosophers studied alongside one another mostly in peace. And that he's right about. Now, as for Hypatia, she was not hated by Christians for her paganism. In fact, many of her students and admirers were Christians and that's true. One of the most sympathetic accounts of her death was written by a church historian. So why did she die? Hart says she became inadvertently involved in one of the conflicts that were constantly erupting in Alexandrian society. Uh, But that's where he ends the story. He doesn't Mm -hmm. actually share what happened. It's true this was a political conflict but there's some details here. Hypatia – was counseling the Roman prefect of Alexandria at the time not to give in to the demands of the local bishop, Cyril. So there was a bit of a church-state debate that was going on. And because she was on the wrong side of it, uh, she was eventually murdered by Cyril's men. The authorities were bribed. None of Cyril's men were brought to justice and the whole event really had a chilling effect on philosophy and the intellectual climate of the city. Scholars started fleeing Alexandria and Cyril later became the bishop of Rome and he was also made a saint. Hmm. So that's kind of an interesting detail that Hart seems to leave out. But that's characteristic of his entire book. He's often accusing others of selecting evidence but he's doing the same thing himself.
1: Right? He's whitewashing the, the role of Christianity and I don't think we can blame Christianity for all the ills in history. That That would be ridiculous. But to say that – they did nothing wrong is equally as as false
0: well he doesn 't say they didn 't do anything wrong, but he conveniently omits many of the horrible mm-hmm. things that did happen during the Christian reign of the Roman Empire, uh, for example, he completely glosses over christian the Christian emperor justinian mm-hmm. so justinian 's known for his legal code uh, that was it was passed in five hundred twenty nine it made Jews second class citizens, it outlawed pagan worship. It closed down the great philosophical schools of the Epicureans, the Stoics, and Aristotle's Lyceum. You think that would be important to his thesis? Yeah. If the idea is that Christians didn't snuff out ancient learning, there's, there's a pretty solid example of where they did. Hart doesn't mention any of that except for the uh, the closing of the academy in Athens. But he quickly adds, neither pagan nor Christian scholars were forbidden to study or write commentaries on the philosophers. After that, Yeah, of course, but without their schools right. to maintain them, um, it's, it's not all that hard to understand why these movements died out. Right. He does admit that Justinian seized pagan citizen properties, purging pagans from public office, banishing heretical Christian sects from the empire and he's gracious enough to say that that was harsh. Oh, harsh. Is that right? (laughs) (laughs) But uh, not as harsh as what came before, according to him. And Mm -hmm. I don't have any argument there. The Romans were known for their cruelty. Uh, Right, right. But again, this sure sounds like the systematic suppression of other viewpoints to me. And that's the very thing that's at issue here. So, does it get any better later on? So, we'll
1: move now to the heart on the Middle Ages. Once upon a time, there was a late Roman Hellenistic culture that cherished the power of reason and pursued science and high philosophy. Then came Christianity, which valued only blind obedience to a rational dogma and which maliciously extinguished the light of pagan wisdom. Then, thanks to Islam, 13th century Christendom suddenly rediscovered reason and began to chafe against the bondage of witless fideism. And then... As if by magic, Copernicus discovered heliocentrism and reason began its inextricable charge toward victory through the mast and hostile legions of faith.
0: Uh, I can agree with Hart. That's a gross oversimplification. Hart points out some valid things here too. He points out that uh, whatever the scientific achievements of ancient Greece by the time of the rise of the Roman um Empire – A lot of the quality of scientific thought had had already vanished and this is way before Christians came on the scene. Mm -hmm. And again, um, I checked this with all of the history books I had on my shelf that were relevant and I have quite a few and it it checks
1: out. By that point, we would already forgotten how to make Archimedes' death ray. So
0: (laughs) it's it's really not even the end of Greek civilization before some of these these Greek scientists. They were
1: around for a while.
0: So we can't blame Christianity for that. Uh, He admits that in the early Middle Ages, uh, he admits that they were a surpassingly harsh period. He says, but the Middle Ages as a whole, especially from the time of the late 7th and early 8th centuries, were marked by considerable dynamism, Hmm. he says, in the arts, scholarship, engineering, agronomy, law and philosophy and natural science. I think dynamism might be a bit of a stretch. It is a clever pun. I don't think he was aware of that (laughs) and if you don't get it, uh, look it up. But he says the Dark Ages were really not as dark as they've been made out to be and this is true. Uh, But what about scientific discoveries that conflicted with the church's teachings? Hmm. So what about
1: Copernicus?
0: What about Galileo?
1: To suggest that Copernicus merely took up a thread that had been severed by the church in antiquity and arrived at his hypothesis by his own unaided lights defies not only the historical record, but all historical logic. Copernicus was heir to a long mathematical tradition and a physical theory that had opened the way to new models of the cosmos." Okay,
0: Copernicus didn't work out of a vacuum and he does support this with an impressive list of Christian thinkers from the Middle Ages that formed the foundation. Ooh. Yes, the theoretical foundation for Copernicus. He includes Gerald of Brussels, William of Ockham, Radwardine, William Hatesbury, Jean Burdain, and several others. Hmm. But there's something funny about his list that I noticed as I started tallying up the years. Uh, All of these men lived within 115 years of each other, all in a 115-year time span. So this is between uh, 1275 of the Common Era and 1390 – The common era. And uh, so you got to ask why so much advancement in such a short amount of time, right? Right, right. This is not gradually throughout all the Middle Ages. Well, the answer is because in the middle of the 12th century, translations of Greek and Arabic texts were just then beginning to really get circulation in the West.
1: So it was the Arabs who came in and <laughs> saved everything. huh:
0: For all the dynamism of early Middle Ages, Hart doesn't actually name a single person before this time. Right. The writings of the Greeks, principally Aristotle, did revitalize Christian thought in the late Middle Ages. And he, he points out he's right, Aristotle was as much a foil to these guys as he was a help. I'm not denying that. But it was Aristotle's cosmology and, and that of Ptolemy, too that Copernicus and Galileo fought to break away from Uh, but it's still Aristotle's thought that laid the groundwork of medieval science. That's why all these promising thinkers were able to get their ideas off the ground. They couldn't do it before that time. In the end actually, the Christian scholastics really accepted so much of Aristotle that it started to set scientific progress back. Anyway, Copernicus was right. The sun, not the earth, is at the center of the solar system. Blasphemy. His ideas weren't rejected because they conflicted with the Bible. They were rejected because the Ptolemaic model accurately predicted planetary motion to a remarkable degree even.
1: Quite quite impressively. Yeah,
0: given the data at the time. Right, absolutely. And the Copernican model simply couldn't. And again, he's right. Mm -hmm. Well, what about Galileo? The church, after all, forced him to renounce his views under threat of excommunication, possibly worse, and put him under house arrest for the remainder of his life. Uh, Does he address Kepler at all? He does address Kepler, but – names him as a Christian. So Kepler's Wasn't Kepler
2: wasn't Kepler though afraid to to publish his thing about the elliptical orbits, the reason why Copernicus's model didn't fit the data was because he didn't right. take into account that the orbits so of the elliptical. planets are imperfectly they're not perfectly circular. And mm-hmm. that's and Kepler also was resistant to publish because he afraid he was afraid that you know, persecution would come out when he let fly that these things aren't perfect.
0: That's true. But Hart would respond by saying the Jesuits were in Kepler's corner. So because he has a body of Christian defenders, then we can't tack this to Christianity's or-
1: resistance to science. Hmm. Even though the majority of Christianity was So his theory
2: is if you can find any Christian supporting science, then the the majority of Christians not supporting science doesn't count as evidence against Christianity.
0: He does seem to be very selective like that Hmm. uh, as far as what is he choosing to – include into the Christian fold and exclude. Yeah, it, it does seem pretty uh, self-serving, right. his selection. Now, uh, he does have a point in that he says, yeah, there were some scandals around Copernicus's view uh, but he points out Galileo got along quite well with the church and Galileo was actually a close friend of Pope Urban Eighth, who was the one that ended
1: up persecuting him. In the, the review of this book, they say Galileo's own irascible character, in fact, was the source of much of his misfortune.
0: I've read that in yep. in responsible books. I've heard that in um, lectures. It does seem that Galileo's trial really isn't a saga of science asserting truth against church dogma. It's really a clash between two really big egomaniacs. Yeah, it's
1: not the Scopes Monkey trial. It's uh –
0: And I think that is going to come as a surprise. I think this is one that we do harp on. Uh, Some in our camp do Mm -hmm. harp on this a a little too much. It's a very good, you know, it's a it's a great story, you know, fit for a movie. Um, But there's a little bit more to it than that. But what comes next is where Hart really goes off the deep end. He does graciously concede that the whole incident is a major embarrassment to the church. True enough. But he says the take-home message is not that Christianity suppressed science. Galileo, Kepler, and Newton were all Christians after all. Hmm. Uh, So
1: Hart says the real message is – In the 16th and 17th centuries, Christian scientists educated in Christian universities and following a Christian tradition of scientific and mathematical speculation – overturned a pagan cosmology and physics and arrived at conclusions that would have been unimaginable within the confines of Hellenistic scientific traditions.
0: Yeah, unimaginable except to Aristarchus or Seleucus.
2: Were there any places if you were a scientist to go to train and publish and learn that weren't Christian places? I mean
1: – Yeah, that's always the thing that makes me. If he's setting
2: up and trying to say that it's because of the Christians that, that we had advancement of knowledge, what other game in town was there? Right. Was there like a secular university you could go the to? The same and,
1: thing with the great art. You oh, know, that's, that's exactly great it. great art was all Christian. Well, but they were the ones paying for it. What well,
2: else are you going to do?
0: That's yeah. exactly it. I think this is nothing more than a genetic fallacy. Yes. You know, You're, you're basically saying since the originators of modern scientific ideas were all Christians, that it follows that science is somehow inherently Christian. Well, it doesn't follow. There's right. there's nothing Christian about Occam's razor, for example. It's, mm-hmm. it's not derived from scripture. It's, it's not a dogma of the church. There's nothing unchristian about it right. either. It's, right. it's just completely independent. Um, but here's the second quote of Hart.
1: What we mean today by science, its methods, its controls, and guiding principles came into existence, for better or for worse, only within Christendom and under the hands of believing Christians. In fact, Western Europe surpassed every other civilization in its scientific accomplishments thanks to the medieval Christian university where astonishing freedom of inquiry and debate was not only tolerated – but encouraged. <laughs>
0: this, this is
1: that too much like to the, swallow. The, the Middle Ages to me. <laughs> Let me give you an example of this, why
0: this is so silly. We can't be sure that all these thinkers were really Christian. Okay, it, They went to church. It, it doesn't matter because of the genetic fallacy as, as we've already pointed out. So I'm not making this my main argument. Don't right. get me wrong. But this, this is important. Um, William of Ockham, who he mentions, is a really great example of this. When Hart says they had freedom of inquiry in the medieval university, he's correct but only in a very small sense, Mm -hmm. basically in the sense that you could get away with exploring dangerous ideas as long as you repudiated them in the end. So William of Ockham uh, actually argued that immortality and the existence of the soul were irrational. He argued that divine freedom required that God could save whoever he wanted even outside of the Christian church and he demolished Aquinas' five proofs for God. That's pretty impressive.
1: Pretty easy. And one, actually.
0: one, well, Aquinas's still, but wicked. one wonders what motivated him right. to do all that, and one wonders why he wasn't burnt at the stake. Mm-hmm. You know, he wasn't spared because of Christian tolerance. He was spared because, uh, because after laying out all the arguments, he then concludes that well, but of course, God exists, and w- and we can know this by faith. So it's reason. His entire essay has been to show that that reason is inadequate here. And and we – what
1: we really need is, is faith to show us the truth. Because if we use reason, it will prove that God doesn't exist and we can't have that. <clears throat> well, it's quite possible that
0: Occam might have been a skeptic and that he's trying to get these heretical ideas under the radar. Mm-hmm. He might have been a sincere believer too. He probably was. But this sort of thing happens so much in medieval philosophy way too often for me to conclude that all these guys were believers.
1: It, it's the same thing with our founding fathers that we were talking about earlier. Even the ones who attended church regularly and, and said they belong, they believed this, that and the other thing. We don't know if that's actually – they were politicians after all.
2: Does, does, does he ever get into like what his thesis is as to why Christianity would promote all this great scientific thought? I mean what is there in Christianity that supposedly underline right. all the, the scientific advancement? Or
1: does he just give examples of this guy was a Christian? All,
2: all I've heard so far is that he's trying to say, well, yes, science can coexist with, uh, with religion. That doesn't say that the origin of science is with some great thought that's developed by Jesus. Right. He tries
0: to link it to uh, the, the Christianity's belief in reason and a rational order to the universe, you know, which were not things
2: – Where is that coming from? with the Bible I'm he uses sure. a
0: handful of of church fathers to support this i 'm not i 'm not opposed to the idea that that Christianity was influential on scientific ideas, but there's nothing inherently Christian about these ideas no, that they were coming up
1: with but science can only extend quite so far in a in a world where God isn 't orderly hasn't created an orderly universe, and in christianity the idea. well of course miracles throw that idea off don't yeah. they but uh Generally speaking, the world runs on a certain set of rules, which allows people to explore them and to better know the Creator by understanding the universe that He has created. But I don't, I don't know that we can say that that's specifically a Christian not specifically thing. Christian? Yeah,
0: no, it's not at all. And, and back to my earlier point, it's it's just wrong to assume that these people uh, that these people their advances in scientific thinking were always out of some sort of godly motivation. Right. We have instances, you know, Aquinas tried to square all the teachings of the Catholic Church with the philosopher Aristotle. Some of these troublemakers, basically, in the Catholic Church, uh, they would use Aristotle's arguments uh, to show things like the biblical creation couldn't be right. They would argue against the creation of the world mm. and other core doctrines. It really became this sort of thing that was common at the time that if you preferred Greek wisdom and Greek ideas, to what the church was providing, you would make an elaborate case for it, but you would just at the very end, you would switch reason off Mm -hmm. and you would say, but of course we know that the Bible is true and that all of this uh, therefore must be false. But the people, again, kind of like the situation with the constitution we talked about, there were several people at the time, leaders in the church, that knew this was going on. They knew that these were heresies. Kind of put into a Trojan horse. Right. For example, in 1227, the bishop in Paris listed 219 conclusions that were off limits to philosophers, hoping to shut these rationalists and up.
1: Th- that sounds kind of like we're going against uh, Hart's thesis again. Yeah, again,
0: but of course he's not going to mention data like that. Again, right. this is selection of evidence. Mm-hmm. It's, it's kind of ironic that this backfired in a strange way. It kind of freed up a lot of intellectuals from Aristotle's program and sure, a lot more empirical science could actually go through but that's neither here nor there. The point is we can't know how many of these people were devout Christians because if you did go too far, if you did refuse to take it back … You know, what happened to you would be like what happened to
1: Giordano Bruno. The the Austrian fashion model from uh, the Sasha Baron Cohen movie? Not that Bruno. The same. Bruno.
0: In other words, if you went too far, you could get burned at the stake. Right. Hart's argument really just degrades from there and it's not even worth trying to take on all these claims. I just want to list some of them for you so people can get an appreciation for how far you, off the deep end You read the whole book. did read the whole book. You, you might as well get some of this off your chest. Thank you. This really ruined my spring break. (laughs) Another claim is the Inquisitions were a benevolent move by the church to curb persecution of heretics.
1: No one expects the Spanish Inquisition.
0: The Crusades were entirely morally justified. (laughs) Uh, Christian anti-Semitism is a myth. Oh. The – yeah. Tell that to
1: the Jews.
0: (laughs) The wars between Catholics and Protestants following the Reformation are actually the fault of modernism, not religion. Uh. Of course. Materialism is to blame for the superstition-fueling witch hunts. And likewise, absolute monarchy and the divine right of kings are the fault of modernism as well. Wow. Yeah, pretty impressive. That's that's great. And When he gets up to the time of the Enlightenment, this was the most infuriating thing for oh, me. God. When he gets up to that time, he stops even trying. He actually doesn't really
1: talk about it at all. He just rants about it. The ethical presuppositions intrinsic to modernity are fragments and echoes of Christian moral theology. Even the most ardent secularists among us generally cling to notions of human rights, economic, and social justice. Providence for the indigent, legal, equity, or basic human dignity that pre-Christian Western culture would have found not so much foolish as unintelligible. We would not be able to believe in any of these things. They would never have occurred to us had our ancestors not once believed God is love.
0: Okay, again, it's another genetic fallacy. Mm-hmm. Um, just because Enlightenment philosophers were steeped in Christian culture, they still justified their ethical views using non-religious arguments. Uh, They had foundations of their own independent of Christian theology. Really, if he wants to take this claim seriously that all enlightenment values are derivative of Christian or therefore Christian, he would have to toss out Christian values too because we can trace a lot of those back to Greek thought. We can trace a lot of those back to pagan influences.
1: He has no grounds for that. To be entirely modern is to believe in nothing. The ethos of modernity is, to be perfectly precise, nihilism. Freedom consists solely in the power of choosing as such. Neither God nor nature nor reason provides the measure of an act's true liberty, for an act is free only because it might be done in defiance of all three. He doesn't back any of this stuff up. He doesn't
0: really, he doesn't really pull quotes. He's not talking about the history of Enlightenment thought. He doesn't talk about Bentham. He doesn't talk about Mill, Reed, Kant. Bacon, Locke, and Hume get brief shout-outs but nothing more than a few lines. He doesn't mention their ethical theories. He condemns the Enlightenment as though it's a source of all modern evils, but he doesn't even talk about the developments in the Enlightenment. Mm, mm
1: -hmm.
0: Maybe you can guess. There is one person that he quotes – to support this this modernist nihilism.
1: Thomas Jefferson.
0: No. I'm uh, just trying to think, bring it back. Think right. harder.
1: Uh, Nietzsche? Yep. Uh, of
0: course. Yeah, who I think it's it's really questionable whether or not you want to include him in the Enlightenment. Yeah. He's, I mean he's pretty late I on the scene. I was going to say. Um, yeah, Nietzsche once again gets to be the representative of all atheists and actually all of modern thought. Everything that is and wrong. For people who aren't familiar with Nietzsche, he does preach will of power. He he does right. preach not having your, your will checked by any sort of sympathy <laughs> pretty much. Hmm. I'm going to get Nietzsche fans telling me that I'm wrong and I probably am. But uh, he does say some –
1: pretty perverse things that it's are okay. very Nietzsche easy. fans don't believe in anything, so. But Nietzsche
0: does not, by any stretch of the imagine, represent enlightenment, thought or modernity.
1: But you know what? This is the same thing when I was at Aquinas College. Nietzsche was one that was thrown at us as this is representative of atheist thought. Well, Nietzsche the same, is the father of modern atheists because he's Marxism the great and,
0: poster child yeah. for their ideas of us.
2: It's the same as Marxism, too. They always say, well, you know, the, the atheists take their ideas for. I, exactly. I, I, or Freud. I, maybe I'm in the minority of, but everybody, I, I've never read any. Beyond just you know the Communist Manifesto, I've never read any Marx for Lenin. I've but, never but that read is any on your Nietzsche.
1: bad side table, so
2: I've to highlighted be fair. it. I've <laughs> never read any Nietzsche. I've never that's not the basis oh. of if anybody I know is that they're atheists. <laughs> there was no, a so.
0: terrific debate where uh, this Christian apologist tried to convince George Smith that he was a <laughs> that he was a Marxist. Uh, oh. if, if you know who George Smith yeah. is, he's an Ayn Rand capitalism, <laughs> laissez faire capitalism. And uh, and he's just like laughing with this guy, like going, "I'm I'm the editor of a
1: libertarian journal.
0: <laughs> what are you tell? You're telling me that I'm a Marxist? Yes, you have to be a Marxist. That's where atheism comes from.
1: Yeah, unbelievable. Yeah.
0: Uh, so Hart's book, in my final analysis, a little tiny nuggets of truth, but great big distortions.
1: Well, as the review from what is it, Christianity Today? In the review, they say that this book is great for believers, and I say believers because I think that although Hart prefaces the work by saying that his prejudices are transparent and unreserved, which clearly <laughs> is the case, occasionally his historical analysis is laced with rhetorical flourishes of a preacher.
0: Yeah, there's no doubt about that. I mean, he is he's a, he's a good polemicist. Um, yeah. But you know what's funny is he he adm- admits in the very beginning of the introduction that he is not a professional historian that he makes no pretense to objectivity really? mm-hmm. and uh, he proves himself right.
1: Well, and the reviewer says that they would not expect a non-Christian to be won over on the neutral grounds of abstract argument, which to me,
0: <laughs> yeah, because we're impervious to that, right? That's right. That's right. Well, I just don't get why so many people are still upholding this guy as. You know, he's a good writer. Really academically responsible and everything but, else. He's, yeah, he's but clearly not.
1: But. Your, your average reader is not going to check the facts, that's which, true. Is, which is sad.
0: Well, that's why we check the facts for you on reasonable doubts.
1: Some of the time. Let's ignore that church <laughs> sign. So
2: you don't have to think yourself.
1: <laughs> that's right. Well, that's all for this week. Until next week, check out our website at www.doubtcast.org. Email us at doubtcast at gmail.com. Join the discussion at our forum, doubtcast.forummotion.net. Find us on Facebook, Twitter, or even Zazzle at slash doubtcast. So thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time right here on Reasonable Doubts, your skeptical guide to religion.